Welcome to TV7 Israel's podcast. We invite you to listen and share our latest content from Israel and the region. Shalom from Jerusalem. This is TV7 with another edition of Middle East Review. And with me, as usual, is my good friend, co-host, Iran. And, uh, of course, uh, we know all about you, Colonel Reserve, PhD doctor, and a very well-versed with Middle Eastern affairs and, of course, global affairs as well. Currently Iran, the editor of the Jerusalem Strategic Tribune, which is... That's a new a, and exciting venture. That's a very good plug. Well, Iran, another month, uh, another hectic time for uh, the Middle East, of course, and, and beyond. And I think maybe this uh, edition we should concentrate on two main issues. First of all is, again, Iran. What's happening and what is not happening. Exactly. What is not happening, unfortunately, is uh, nothing on the uh, nuclear front. Nothing is happening Other in Vienna. Other than the centrifuges still wearing. Exactly. Uh, some talking about talks, pre-talks in Brussels in, before uh, Vienna, but it is evident that the uh, Iranians under the new government of Raisi, the butcher from Tehran, which is much more extreme than even his uh, press, uh, predecessor, they are taking, they are just procrastinating, taking their time, and maybe changing their policy to become a threshold nuclear countries. So this is one thing on Iran, one portfolio. The other file, of course, is Iran in the region. What's happening in Lebanon, their contribution to the real, the destruction of of Lebanon, swirling down, spiraling down. Of course, what's happening in Syria, where they are bolstering the Syrian um, anti-aircraft missile defense. What's happening in Tanef. Mm -hmm. And, of course... Second issue after this is what's happening in the Palestinian uh, Gaza, what's happening in Israel-Russia relations after the very good visit of Prime Minister Bennett at Sochi with uh, Putin, and I'm sure we'll have many more things. Mm. So Iran, but let's, let's start let's with Iran. Let's not forget the, the apparent coup in Sudan, which is of course, of uh, course, an indication of how far things have gone down since 2011. Um, Iran. The, the main story is really what did not happen. There's no movement towards the recon- reconstitution of the JCPOA, which is what the Biden administration came in with a direct intent to do uh, immediately. And we are now in November, 12, year, 12 months after the election, and, and, uh, and uh, nearly 10 months, n- 10 months or nine months after the inauguration, and there's no breakthrough. And uh, the, the indications are that Raisi probably thinks that the Americans are too irresolute or too weak-minded. I, thought, I hope he had, there's no delusions about American power if it is brought to bear, but he thinks they will not bring it to bear. Maybe he draws the certain conclusions in his mind from what happened in Afghanistan. Um, 
he has already, his people have already basically uh, designated the uh, IAEA uh, Director General Gorsi as a Zionist agent. So whatever he says about Iran is from now on discredited. So the tool, the most significant tool of monitoring is by now disabled by Iranian, an Iranian position of declared mistrust. And, and this, of course, undermines any prospects of an effective and IEA made a special report saying that they are crippled in terms of monitoring the Iranian project because of the Iranians' doing. And, of, and, and that immediately led to his, uh, to, to an, a personal ad hominem attack on him as a servant of, of Zionist uh, uh, influences. So the Iranians are, are clearly in a, in a nasty mindset. And this could lead us to uh, very serious consequences. I think the American plan B at this stage may be to try and reconsolidate the international community uh, for uh, a return to an effective sanctions regime. In other words, to, uh, to, to uh, out-Trump Trump, Trump uh, with uh, the uh, uh, support and participation of at least the Western powers, Russia and, and, and China, are a different matter. Uh, the Chinese are beholden to the Iranians to some extent. The Russians enjoyed seeing the American nose uh, bleeding, but uh, at the end of the day, they also don't want a nuclear power on their southern approaches. And towards that end, the meeting between Bennett, Prime Minister of Israel, and Putin in Sochi was very important, five hours meeting, which um, about half of it was devoted to Iran. Iran, did you hear anything coming out of this meeting vis-a-vis -vis Iran and the nothing talks? Nothing directly as yet, but it is very clear that the Russians have renewed the understandings with Israel on the question of deconfliction in, over Syria. Now, this uh, sounds very technical, but what it actually means is that the, the Russian military forces in Syria, including the uh, air uh, assets of significant capabilities, will not interfere with Israel operating against Iranian targets. And um, all that they ask for is that we don't bump into each other. And this has been the arrangement since 2015. It has survived some very serious incidents, like the downing of a Russian reconnaissance plane by the Syrians by mistake because they, they were firing at uh, what they thought were Israeli targets. The Russians initially blamed us because, you know, you need somebody to be guilty for such an idiocy when people kill you, your people, with weapons you gave them. But... Uh, uh, after that, uh, but the commander of the Air Force, Norton, went to, to Moscow, explained the situation, and the confliction arrangements survived this incident and, and, and several other points of tension since. And I think there is, uh, I would say, a, a very healthy dose of respect on the part of Russia for Israeli military capabilities. And they know that their client, Assad, could put his head in the noose if he becomes a completely subservient Iranian client. And towards that end, Iran, we were told uh, just past few days 
but it has happened for the last few months that Iran is shipping anti-air missiles. They are most, uh, let's say, uh, modern and newest uh, version of anti-aircraft uh, 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 systems to Syria. So it's not Russian only. Now they're bolstering them with Iranian-made missiles. And I think this is uh, why there was a decision taken in the context of this amazing event, we should, which we should mention, a blue flag exercise Absolutely. going on in Israel right. with participation of the American, British, French, German, UAE, uh, 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 Indi Indian and, uh, and uh, Greek air forces in the presence of the commander of the UAE air force. When that, I mean, this is, this is science this fiction. This is amazing. Like, this uh, is unbelievable. Like days of uh, Messiah, absolutely. And evidently, you know, it has been, it, it's still going on, a very, very successful um, um, drill. Air force. Yes, it is. At the good, Air Force. Well, we, and we, we are reputed to have a good Air Force. Absolutely. <laughs> and the, uh, the, the formation or the characteristics or the nature is against an enemy in the East or Northeast, yes. without mentioning names. No, no, no names. I mean, like the Egyptians used to have their exercise against the blue country in the Northeast, but they never <laughs> said which one. Right. But um, the, the, by the way, uh, the flyby over Jerusalem, the first day of, of the German. blue flag, the commander of the Luftwaffe flying side by side with commander of the Air Force in a plane that was painted with the Israeli and German flag colors. Amazing. What a difference 80 years make. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, going back to the briefing, the briefing that attended uh, the blue flag uh, exercise also mentioned that Israel has been able to frustrate attempts to, to shoot at our planes over Syria uh, recently. They didn't specify episode. Israel never speaks about any specific, uh, almost never speaks about it any specific episodes. They don't take responsibility or attacks in Syria. We, we, we take, uh, Israel takes responsibility for the, let's say, the overall policy mm -hmm. of uh, attacking the Iranian infrastructure in Syria. In Syria that's uh, declared and stated, but, not, uh, but never for any specific incident that, uh, so that the Syrians don't feel obliged to retaliate uh, for something on, that happened on their soil. But there was a reference to the fact that we, we overcame and, and disabled uh, such an attack. And then the, 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 uh, the, the battery was then struck. And so that's an indication to the Iranians twice. First of all, uh, we can deal with your insert in Syria. And secondly, don't feel so protected in your own home turf if we have to make a decision to go, we would be able to do so. And the Russians wouldn't uh, shed any tear about uh, destroying uh, Iranian-made uh, uh, armaments and, and weapons because they are sometimes in direct um, competition uh, about selling arms, especially to Syria. And we know that one of the major interests of, um, the United, of Russia, which very much converges with Israel, is not to let the Iranians entrench and take her over Syria as a client state. The Russians yes. would like Syria to be their client state. And I think the Syrians also, if they look at what happened to Lebanon, which has become essentially an Iranian conquered territory under an Iranian proxy, Hezbollah, in many of its aspects. I mean, life in Lebanon seemed as if they could go on forever uh, with the usual panache 
of uh, of the Lebanese, but the un but below the ground things were falling apart, and then came the explosion in August last year, and then came the attempts to investigate, which were uh, basically derailed violently. And by now, you came to a situation where uh, Lebanese children go hungry, and the Le many Lebanese have had it up to here. And you had shootings at Hezbollah uh, from within the Lebanese armed force. I mean, uh, the country is drifting into Before destructive chaos. Yeah. And if the Syrians, or what's left of Syria, look at, what, at the cost of becoming an Iranian-controlled uh, territory, I, I think they, they should latch on to the Russians as the, uh, as the alternative. We'll come back in a minute to, to Lebanon, but one more thing to uh, just to um, sum up the issue of uh, Iran and, uh, and Syria, Israel, and the, the rest of the Middle East is that uh, the attack was a brazen attack by uh, Shia militias on Tanif, which is an American base in the triangle, Tanef is located in, a in the triangle uh, border of uh, Jordan, uh, Syria, and Iraq. On the Syrian side. On the Syrian side, a lot of damage. Uh, no lives were claims, as we know, no Mer casualties. Apparently there was some early Maybe. warning, which the Americans don't specify where it came right. from, but, uh, mm -hmm. um, but that, that saved lives. But yes. there was a brazen I mean, attack, definitely. Brazen, and it seems like this was and a retaliation against what they claim an Israeli prior attack on, uh, on Syrian uh, airports where the Iranians have uh, assets there. Uh, what do you make of that? And what do you think of the American response or lack thereof? Well, uh, it is only in the last very recent um, time uh, that the uh, United States government actually acknowledged that this was an Iranian-inspired and, and executed attack, uh, not from Iranian soil, but by Iranian-controlled militias, by five drones. Uh, so the Americans are being uh, uh, subjected to a bit of their own medicine in the, in, from the Iranian, in the Iranian point of view. But making it a, out a in, drone the, attack. in the open, it's a clear warning to Iran. Uh, Hopefully. So, so uh, I think that's an indication that the patience of the American military establishment is is running short. Um, whether this would how how this would coincide and be coordinated with the attempts to bring pressure to bear on Iran on the larger issue of of the nuclear question, which is the ticking uh, time bomb, <laughs> so uh, in more ways than one. Um, in, in this whole situation remains to be seen. I would suggest that um, a fixation on diplomatic solutions, which does not include the capacity to uh, threaten Iran with uh, um, uh, Teddy Roosevelt's big stick, uh, will not be persuasive. The, the, the Tehran must understand that there is a willingness to use force uh, so that they would sober up enough to, to come to the table on terms which the world can accept. I think it and was... And we know that the Iranians do yield to credible threats like in 2003, when it was the first time and the last time they voluntarily stopped their illegal nuclear uh, 
activities because they were thinking after the invasions to Iraq that they, they are going to be next. Yeah, one fell long in Afghanistan, as they say in artillery, one fell long on Afghanistan, one fell short on Iraq, the third will be on them. Right. And that uh, definitely uh, cleared their minds. You know, uh, George F. Kennan, of all people, said that there's nothing that adds more to the civility and pleasantness of diplomatic conversation than having some military force in the background. Absolutely. And he was a very peace-loving individual. Absolutely. And interestingly enough, he's quoted by, by Bill Burns in his uh, autobiographical uh, account of his uh, years in the State Department. So if uh, this is understood by people who are uh, central to the Biden administration, uh, it's at certain, at a certain point, this must be made understood, uh, understandable to the Iranians. And if so, the Americans will not do it, mm -hmm. Israel has made it very clear that it so, is getting ready to act. One more last thing that we discuss on Iran before we move to Lebanon is uh, Rob O'Malley, which is Rob Malley, which is the uh, envoy, uh, the American envoy to the talks in Vienna with, uh, I mean, vis-a-vis uh, -vis the Iranians, made some. Note, noticed um, quotes which were a little bit controversial, which uh, what did he really say? And more importantly, what did he really mean? And did he speak for the president? That's Biden? a good he clearly he, he clearly speaks for the administration at this point. Um, he briefed dozens of reporters. Uh, and of course, uh, so you, you, you know this famous uh, Japanese film, Rashomon, everyone took uh, a different bit. Those who suspect American intentions uh, from an, an Israeli hardliner point of view uh, took away an impression that he would is stuck with diplomacy and, and, and has no in, and the Americans have no intention of turning to alternative. Uh, uh, means of action. And yeah, as I said, I think the plan B is still diplomatic, but it's, it involves uh, re reinvigorated pressure. We shall see. At the same time, he also sent a signal to the Iranians that time is, he, he did say that time is running out and that there is no um, benign explanation for their, um, the way in which they're dragging their feet. In other words, that the suspicion is rising that they have uh, nefarious intentions. And if when that comes from Rob Malley, you can look at it uh, both ways. But the, the very important thing to do now <coughs> is to ensure that Israel, mm -hmm. as such, retains the freedom of action against the background of these tensions and dilemmas, because our freedom of action is one of the most important elements in the entire Equation. It was in 2010 when the international community came together, with the exception of Turkey and Brazil, voting for at the UN Security Council for UN Security Resolution uh, 1929. Sanctions on Iran. And if this is to happen again, then it must be very clear to even to the Russians and the Chinese who have the veto that the alternative is not uh, business as usual with the Iranians. It's an explosion. And here, a very important role is for the European three. I mean, Germany, France, and the UK. Um, at the last, uh, you know, uh, round of talks before the JCPOA was signed in 2015 in Vienna, it, they were the French who were the most tough vis-a-vis -vis the Iranians. What is happening now? And we do need 
probably maybe some coaxing and scheduling or even pushing uh, by the European three to the United States to become not just ta ta tougher with uh, Iran, but also faster because time is running out. Well, they have, the, the E3 have uh, issued their own <coughs> statements, uh, which indicate severe concern mm -hmm. over Iran's intentions. Uh, the problem is that Germany is in transition. There's no uh, stabilized political situation there yet. Uh, the positions of Britain and France are, are fairly uh, are solid on this question. France has always been deeply concerned about uh, Iranian intentions. Um, in the years prior to the JCPOA, it was actually the most uh, hardline of all six. Uh, and, and has kept the, the Americans from making certain mistakes, for example, over the uh, plutonium project in Iraq. French know a thing or two about plutonium projects. And uh, the uh, outcome was that, that uh, they felt that they, and, and Macron, by the way, was willing to come to an understanding with Pompeo and as to a longer and stronger set of demands from the Iranians, but uh, it was... Uh, uh, Donald Trump's choice not to go for that option, but to nix uh, the, the uh, JCPOA altogether. Uh, the French are important. Israel is in dialogue with them. We have some side issues and, and problems, but we can resolve them. At the, uh, but but uh, Hulata, who is the key player in this game, the nuclear physicist, who is now the national security advisor to Prime Minister Bennett, the man uh, uh, of the hour, whose conversations with Jake Sullivan and with the Europeans and possibly also uh, with the Russians uh, uh, will determine uh, their how much they understand about our concerns. Um, I think we, we need the, the extensive dialogue now with all the key players. Yeah, and uh, Iran, you touched a very interesting point that uh, the new appointed uh, um, national security advisor of Israel is a nuclear physicist. This, I think, also a signal in itself. And uh, I think he's very well um, received now, both in Paris. There was an issue with NSO that they had to uh, solve. And, of course, with Jake Sullivan, his counterpart in uh, Washington, D.C. Let's go back now, as we promised, to Lebanon. So we saw that Hezbollah, of course, is trying to continue and, and, and grab power and, and, and basically control Lebanon. But there are some now dissensions. We remember a few uh, weeks ago when uh, the local Druze in Lebanon uh, just uh, pushed away some... Uh, uh, Disar uh, took uh, over yeah. a, a truck with some uh, un not yet fired uh, of the Katusha Hezbollah. Rocks right. of Hezbollah and saying, you're, you're putting the lives of our children in danger. Absolutely. And, and, and Hezbollah kept quiet. And Hezbollah kept quiet after that. After they, uh, So this was one indication maybe of some kind of commotion against Hezbollah. And of course, what you mentioned in the beginning of the show last week, the riots and the death in, uh, in, in Beirut. Beirut. And the statements, well, Samir Jaja is not exactly a saint. Uh, he's a man tainted by many uh, Including crimes. Sabra and Shatila. Uh, but his, uh, he, uh, the fact that he came out violently against Hezbollah recently tells us that this is becoming more acceptable to have that kind of discourse. The archbishop, the Maronite, 
Archbishop of Lebanon, spoken out against what Hezbollah has done to the country. The economy of Lebanon is in tatters. This was uh, the, the pleasure house of the Middle East. And look, look at uh, what has become of it. And, and if, if anyone needs a lesson uh, as to the costs of making yourself subservient to the Iranians, there it is. By the way, another country which is now in, uh, in the focus of attention, Sudan, was also going down the, the rat hole as a, as a subservient ally of Iran. And I think we helped them... Uh, change so, course. Change yeah. course. I mean, we, we uh, helped them understand the costs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you a story. A diplomat came to me after one very mysterious explosion in uh, near Khartoum mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. some uh, nine years back and said, and I was in government, and said, can you tell me anything about this? I said, of course not. I have no idea. But if he, he, he formerly served, served in Khartoum. But if your former hosts think we did it, there must be a construct in their minds as to what they are doing that may make us interested in doing something <laughs> like that. So you might as well advise them to desist from whatever it is they are doing that may give us reason. <laughs> and um, lo and behold, uh, um, ultimately Sudan did. They actually went 180 degrees over from the Iranian side to the Saudi side. They, they lent uh, their support to the Saudi-led coalition in Yemen. Uh, uh, but the situation in Sudan is very, and of course, uh, they joined uh, the Abraham Accords, but the situation East is- Peace with Israel, yeah. Uh, normalization is on the, on, the, on the table. And we are being told that the uh, general who took power is actually a firm supporter of the normalization process. However, we need to be a bit careful. We don't need to be identified with every strongman in the region. Uh, and uh, in any case, the American um, give that was supposed to be uh, the key uh, return for for the uh, investment in uh, the South... Lifting uh, the sanctions, basically. Lifting the, yeah. the, the sanctions and the, the terror status uh, would be put in jeopardy, obviously, because there are, certain, there are laws in America about military coups. So we need to be uh, very cautious and patient uh, and, so, and sorting, in sorting out our response to this mm -hmm. uh, situation. Egypt is in a different category altogether. Uh, but uh, what has just happened in Sudan um, requires, let's say, uh, strategic patience. Absolutely. And Sudan, which maybe in other times, a different epoch, would not have uh, been on the table uh, front and center, uh, interesting us so much, but since the Abraham Accord, since they normalized relations on the way to peace with Israel, it's very much important now. So we do hope that uh, the outcome of the coup, there won't be any counter coup, and at the end of the day, the peaceful road that the Sudanese government then took uh, upon themselves will continue. Sudan in itself is an important uh, uh, throughway uh, that Iran used to ship armaments to the Hezbollah in Lebanon and also to Syria in a, uh, in a longer way through the Mediterranean. Actually, Sudan was the gateway of the Iranians to the, Med to the Mediterranean from the south as they uh, keep the northern track, uh, Syria and Lebanon, thus actually trying to... Uh, that, that was at a time when Egypt was very lax exactly. in its measures. This is no longer the case. So 
This is all the time we have. Uh, we did not have time to discuss the Palestinians. We'll have other times. Thank you very much for watching TV7 Middle East Review. Thank you for joining us in another TV7 Israel podcast. For more content, visit our website at tv7israelnews.com or follow us on social media.